Hi, and welcome to the Asymptote Podcast. I'm Dominic Boyle. Today, we talk to this year's winner of the fiction category of Asymptote's yearly translation contest, Close Approximations. Each year, Asymptote awards $3,000 in prize money to emerging translators with a goal of fostering the discovery of new talent in world literature and increasing the diversity of the global literary market. This year, a deaf translation by Olivia Hallowell caught the eye of the jury and mine as well. Her winning entry was the translation of an excerpt of The Masochist, the first novel by Slovenian author and poet Katja Perat. The Masochist is the story of Nadezhda von Sacher Masoch, who is the fictional daughter of Leopold von Sacher Masoch, who is said to be the person after which masochism came to be known. And it's the story of Nadezhda trying to come to terms with her life, her father, and sort of finding her place in the world at a time where women aren't expected to have the kind of role that she sees herself capable of. So it's this really interesting blend of kind of historical fiction. It's incredibly well researched, but also Nadezhda is a character who is very contemporary, very sassy and... She, she stands out from that historical background and I think the strength of her character comes from that contrast. What I first appreciated in, in Katya's writing, this very kind of sharp, observant, sort of critical tone, I, I recognised that in, in Nadezhda's character and I think that is one of the things that really drew me to the novel in the first place. I'm Olivia Heliwell. I'm a translator from Slovene into English. I am currently based in Wales, um, but I'm originally from Sheffield. It's strange talking about myself as a translator because I feel it's something I've always balanced alongside of the work, but it's something that's, that I've been doing now since I started learning Slovene in 2010. What first piqued your interest? The first time I can pinpoint actually thinking about translation or being aware of it is when I was younger at my grandma and granddad's house. My granddad was a linguist and... I remember he had these small red books that were written by a young French girl, I think. I think she was like nine. She was a bit older than me at the time. And he would translate sentences for me so I could read parts of the story. I was saying to him, oh, so this word must mean this in English. The third word in this French sentence must mean the third word that was in the English sentence. And he was saying, no, no, it doesn't work like that. And that was the first time that I remember realizing like, wow, there are different systems and and languages aren't all just other versions or replicas of English, that these are like independent, separate systems that communicate the same ideas, but in different ways. How did you get involved with Slovenian, which is, you know, on the global stage, a relatively small language? I got interested in learning Slovene after I'd studied Russian at university. I realized that translation was the aspect of language learning that I really enjoyed the most. At the time, there existed this, this scholarship for postgraduates where if, if you already knew one Slavonic language, you could apply to study another intensively for one year. And the, the options were um, Serbo-Croat or Slovene or Russian. And I already had Russian, so I googled the other options and thought that Slovenia looked amazing and also it had a really interesting grammar. So... That was honestly the very basic reason for opting for Slovene because I just liked the look of the grammar. Um, and so I had this amazing opportunity to learn Slovene intensively for a year. I was lucky enough to get that, that scholarship and, and that was it. Hmm. You were hooked. I was hooked. 
Um, could you tell me a little bit about the grammar of Slovenian? Why is it so special? Okay, so the the thing that caught my eye when I first started learning Slovene was the fact that Slovene has a form where you can say the two of us go or the two of them go. So you can inherently communicate that an action only involves two people without having to explicitly state that or, or add anything extra around it. But I also like that it can be quite brutal. So if you're in a group of people and you turn to someone and say, shall we go for a drink? You can say to that person that you intend to just go with that person and that person only, and everyone else in the group is immediately excluded. I think there is something really special about the ability to convey more with fewer words. And that makes that makes it a challenge to translate sometimes because particularly when translating fiction or poetry, you have to add the two of them. Or if you have to specify, then it does take away. It's just kind of adding extra clunkiness sometimes. At first, when I, when I started translating, I thought the jewel was a feature that I really wanted to preserve and try and convey in English. But I think that was a decision that was clouded by my enthusiasm for the grammar rather than thinking about what worked best in English. Why did you decide to enter the Close Approximations contest? I'd, I'd seen the contest being published over the years and I'd always enjoyed reading the different excerpts and, and entries. And I thought it was a really cool way for people to discover new new writing. Um, and I actually had this sample of of Katia's book already and I felt sad that it didn't have a home and that I hadn't found a way to share it with people and I just had this feeling that it, it was particularly successful I'd worked hard at this one and it was a difficult one like the, the syntax was really challenging in Slovene and, and, I, and I was just really proud of it and so I thought why not give this a shot I, I never expected that it would win obviously but um, it was such an amazing surprise. <laughs> Were there any passages in this story or in this excerpt that you felt like you rendered particularly well or were particularly interesting for you as a translator? There were definitely some sections that in the story that I had written out several times in Slovene and had drawn boxes all around the the separate clauses to work out who is doing what. Slovene um, has cases like Russian and other Slavonic languages, so word order is flexible and sometimes in a particularly complicated sentence it takes a while to unpick subject, object, etc. And there was a lot of that in, in this story. In terms of a section that I'm particularly proud of, there is the, there's a small paragraph where Nadezhda describes her mother and it's a really long sentence in Slovene. And just the fact that I actually managed to contain, retain all of the information in English without it sounding completely impossible was something that I was quite proud of. I can read it to you if that would help contextualize. Yeah, please, please do. How unjust I often thought after Anna's death, the woman who experienced my birth, the pregnancy that preceded it, and perhaps even a love which came before that that this woman who experienced all of those palpable anxieties never found her own place in Leopold's story, even though it was Leopold who loved to say that it was women, not men, who should be interested with history. That was a really difficult sentence in Slovene, and I think it's still, it's not the easiest sentence to read in English, but I was pleased when I finally got a version of that that I felt worked. I think it's interesting that you brought up this sentence as well, because this is one where I think it also encapsulates that gender imbalance where, you know, much as 
Anna never really found her own place in Leopold's story. I feel like reading this excerpt, Nadezhda is also in the process of trying to find her own place and take control of her story back from from Leopold. I agree. And I, and I also like how Nadezhda signposts everything that is wrong about the way that Anna's story has been erased from the narrative that Leopold left behind. So she, she points out that it was Anna that experienced her birth and went through all of those steps that Leopold erases with his with his kind of imagined story of, of the wolf child. Nadezhda brings her mother's reality and her own reality back into focus with that one sentence. Another thing as a reader when I was reading this excerpt that I thought about, especially because, you know, it's about Leopold von Sacher Masoch, the masochist, is what do you think the role of pain is in this story? Wow. Um... The role of pain, I think we can best understand in this excerpt as it's the motive that is driving Nadezhda's story forward. So without that pain, there wouldn't be the reason for her to want to understand her past. You're hitting me with all the big questions. What do you, what do you think the role of pain is? I think I would say, for me, so much of the story hinges on the erasure of woman's pain. Even the story of the witch who was burned at this witch's tower, and the story of, you know, the fact that her mother is also erased from her own story, and the pain of birth, among other things. And so much of the woman's pain is erased and then replaced with a masochist pain, where it's uh, women inflicting pain on Leopold in a very different manner. And that's what I think I find so interesting about pain in the story, because it's the erasure of this of, of women's pain, which then basically allows Leopold to be a masochist. Yeah, and, and for him to continue on his life path without interruption, whereas it's Nadezhda that is bearing the consequences. I really I really like your, your reading of it. Well, thank you. I, and I think that's why it spoke to me also so strongly as such a contemporary piece, precisely because of that dynamic between erasure of women's pain and experience and that sort of forcible centering of Leopold throughout Nadezhda's own history. Yeah, Nadezhda doesn't have the privilege of being able to conduct her life without reflection, which is what we see her doing. She's, she's searching for answers and, and she is having to exert that effort that emotional labor to try and reach a place of contentment which i mean from the short passage that that people read of this they don't see whether or not leopold also has similar reflections or pangs of guilt about his behavior but he certainly doesn't need to reflect and and repair in the way that nadezhda does i'm looking forward to getting back to the novel and and reading the story as a reader again because I think I will see I will see different things in the text and I will understand the text in, in other ways when I'm not constantly thinking, oh, that's a really tricky bit. How would I convey that in English? Are there certain things in the text that you feel like this really comes from a, a Slovene context that were maybe particularly difficult to translate into English or for international readers? I think one of the one of the aspects of the story that I would say could be conveyed as specifically Slovene is the significance of the historical and cultural context because the, the whole idea of Central Europe and the Austro-Hungarian Empire is something that is significant to Slovene na- national identity in the sense that it's often used to distinguish Slovenia from other European countries further east. And it's not a particularly 
pleasant thing, but this kind of cultural heritage is used to say that Slovenia is culturally European. It's a Central European country, not an Eastern European country. And I think exploring the development of a character in that context is is interesting for that reason because it's it's kind of placing Slovenia once again in this in this cultural historical continuum and and, and more than that it that context will be likely of interest to Slovene readers because geographically it's relevant to them and so I was curious when I started translating the masochist into English whether the whole backdrop to the story would be seen as relevant or even remotely interesting because it doesn't have that same historical significance to an Anglophone reader. Can you just tell me a bit about the history? How long has it existed as an independent nation? Slovenia has been an independent nation state since 1991. Prior to that, it was part of the former Yugoslavia. It was a socialist republic that was following World War II. Prior to the Socialist Federal Republic of Slovenia, there was the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, of which Slovenia was a part. Briefly before that, it was a part of the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats and Slovenes. And before that, it was a part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So that's a very brief backwards trajectory. Has the political history of Slovenia, as turbulent as it has been, affected the literature? And in what way? I would say that Slovene literature has been impacted upon by its historical trajectory in the sense that there has continued to be a fierce defense of Slovene literary production and and that great pride is taken in Slovene literature. That would be the main impact that I see. If we look at the literature that's been translated from Slovene into English, there's very little, if we think about recent Slovene history in terms of um, the former Yugoslavia, that context is surprisingly underrepresented in fiction, I would say, in terms of the fiction that has been translated into English. What is more visible in terms of historical trajectories is the Second World War and the aftermath of the Second World War and kind of the subsequent historical memory in Slovenia. It has continued to fuel and to, I suppose, foster an environment in which Slovene literature is seen as the constant, the one thing along with Slovene language that has remained throughout, at times, a very changeable and turbulent political history. So would you say that Slovenian literature or Slovene literature, which one? Um, there's, there's great debate about Slovene or Slovenian and which to use. Like I was taught with Slovene, that was just the the term that my tutors used, mm-hmm. but either one is correct. There's no official version. Okay, yeah, because I, I looked in, in your bio, it said Slovenian on asymptote. <laughs> I think that was edited that way, unless unless I did that. It, it, it really depends. Often I start by saying Slovene, and then if people look at me a little perplexed, uh-huh. I say Slovenian because I think it's a little easier for people to deduce that I'm talking about something related to Slovenia. <laughs> Slovenia, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll just say so Slovene, since that's what you've been saying. Has Slovene literature then played an important role in nation building in modern Slovenia? This has more or less been a constant, but it appears the narrative and the significance of language and literature do appear at times when that message was needed to reinforce feelings of, of national cohesion. So if we look at the late 1980s, for example, in, in Slovenia, before they declared independence from Yugoslavia, it was 
a group of writers and intellectuals working for a journal that played a very important role in bringing questions of sovereignty, identity to the fore, to what we might call like a public audience. So it has a sort of almost mythologized role, but it does also have these instances where you can see a very direct link between authors and writers taking kind of direct action to voice their political goals as well as their artistic ones. Yeah, what what is it like working with Slovene on the world literature stage? What are some of the the challenges of that. First thing I'd say about the challenges of working with a language like Slovene is that I find it hard to say first and foremost that this is what I do. Translating from Slovene always has to be combined with another form of work but I've always been so surprised at the effort that goes into promoting Slovene literature abroad. It's a huge financial undertaking for the Slovene government to do that. Translators are invited from all over the world to go and take part in these seminars so that they then have samples of texts that can be promoted at book fairs around the world. And why do you think they put in so much effort? I think there's, there are a variety of reasons as to why Slovene institutions invest so much effort, but one of them definitely is a preoccupation about smallness, about visibility, combined with the belief that Slovene literature on the whole is good. It's something that is significant culturally and nationally, and therefore it deserves to be seen. And there's also the very practical reason that many people that I've interviewed have told me, which is if they don't do it, who else will? Nobody in the UK or US is going to do it for them. But having said that, occasionally that desire to to have autonomy over the process, the Slovene institutions that want to drive and supply the translation so much can often, I think, be counterproductive for someone like me who's a translator, for example, because often I get so many authors or samples to translate that are kind of spoon-fed to me, which on a practical level I have to accept because I need to earn a living as a translator that often takes away time that I would like to use reading for myself and researching authors and writers who haven't been put forward by government organizations. What is it like to be a writer in Slovenia today? Is it a rich scene? I would say that being a writer in Slovenia today is quite hard. I don't think many people make a living from writing in Slovenia and there's there's been a lot of discussion for many years about the way that the Ministry of Culture supports authors and people working in in the arts. But in terms of the, the literary scene, it always seems to me that Slovenia and Ljubljana in particular has so much going on. I think you get a real sense in the city that literature is is respected. And I feel like you could go to a literary discussion every night of the week at least once a week if you wanted to. Those kind of cultural events are really prominent and it's really nice to see that so much effort goes into supporting people's work and promoting discussions around it. Do you think Slovene is a particularly challenging language to translate? My general stance on the question of translatability is that everything is translatable. I'm not sure if I could say that Slovene was particularly challenging without comparing it to something else. I don't think that we could say that one language is more difficult than another because every language has its own challenges and unique features that make it a challenge in in a particular context. 
There was one thing about the translation that I found challenging that I haven't mentioned yet, and that was the title. It's translated in English as The Masochist, but in Slovene it's Mazohiska. So the Slovene reader immediately sees that it's a female masochist in the title. And I think that's that's really interesting because it hints at that kind of the role reversal and the significance of gender in the story to some extent. And that was something that I pondered about a lot. I think the Slovene title gives more prominence to the female protagonist from the offset, whereas in English there's nothing that leads you to make that connection initially, which is a shame. Well, I hope that you get the chance to translate the whole thing, because I would also love to read it. It's already really engaging, this excerpt. I would love to do that too, and I'd love to carry on translating Slovene literature. All right, I think that's all from my end. Cool. Uh... So thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. It was really lovely to talk to you. Thanks for thanks for taking an interest. Yeah, no, thank you again for the time and for, for submitting. I think it was a really, um, yeah, as you saw, I think it, I found it a really, really engaging excerpt. So. I'm really glad you enjoyed. All right, take care. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.